Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And we have an interesting guest. I received an email a while back, and uh, the title in the subject line said, Can Science Ever Explain UFOs? And I said, Well, I got it. This caught my attention. Anyway, Chris Spark will be on. He has a book out. He's going to be talking about why it's so hard to explain not just UFOs, but a lot of things in the world and why science may have trouble explaining those things. So uh, Chris has quite a background. All that information is in our show notes. And uh, also, um, as you can see on YouTube, Facebook and Twitch and all that, I am uh, on the showboat, as I call it again. This time, uh, there's not going to be any power failures like last week because I'm right up to a dock. And it has been a very active dock all day. Hopefully, it'll be quiet behind me during the show. I've got the old mute mic, and I'll miniaturize myself and all that. So our blog this week is called Floated Into the UFO, and that's about that Manhattan case um, with Linda Cortelli, I believe it is, supposedly that uh, she floated re-beings and there were witnesses, which is really strange. Something about someone going across the uh, the bridge there, the Brooklyn Bridge, or one of the bridges, I can't remember which one it is, and witnessed this thing. So it's a crazy story. I don't know if it's true, but, um, but it sure caused a stir way back when that happened back in the 1980s. So check that out. We have the audio blog every week. As usual, Charles Lear is back. He skipped one week. He's back this week. And if you support the show, I want to thank you very much. And anyone can support the show for just $2 or more a month. And check out our Facebook page. That's uh, Podcast UFO Live, I believe it's called, over at Facebook. There's 20,000 some odd people over there. And uh, join in. If you like. And we're also on Twitter as well. And I get someone else to do a little more of that work for me. Um, I don't really feel like I should go into it. I'm just not really into social media much these days. And um, uh, But anyway, I'm really excited to have our guest. He lives uh, not far from where I used to live in California. And so uh, it was good to talk to him. He and I have a lot of uh, a background roots uh, along the way, uh, New Hampshire and uh, California and all that. And here he is. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Martin. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yes. Yes. So, Chris, this book that you have written is uh, is pretty interesting. And you and I talked a little bit about it, you know, off air. And it really is. Uh, I, I mentioned in a nutshell that I had a conversation with a friend just yesterday. And I said, you know, I don't think we know a lot of what is going on around us. And that's kind of the inspiration or an inspiration type of theme to why you wrote this book. Is that do I have that right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, to, to sort of put a little bit of a fine point on it, there's, in some scientists, in terms of the worldview, there's there's some arrogance there that, in my opinion, is sort of not unlike the old arrogances we used to see, in, you know, when the Catholic Church was sort of the the big guy on the block, you know, saying what, what you're allowed to talk about, what you're not allowed to talk about, what's real. Um, I feel like there's a... There's a way in which 
science is, you know, it has a reputation for being very clear eyed and, you know, we'll take all the evidence. Um, but you, you kind of scratch the surface a little and it's, it's not the case at all. Um, there's, there's taboo subjects in academics and in science. And, you know, you and your listeners are well aware of, uh, how much human experience is just basically ignored, um, by science. So the book, but I think a lot of, a lot of intelligent people, um, just kind of accept science, um, which I argue doesn't exist. We can talk about that later if you want. Um, they, a lot of intelligent people uh, think science is giving them this unbiased picture of the world, um, particularly ultimate reality. And the, the book just explores all the ways, you know, it sort of pokes holes in that idea. Um, I'm really curious right off the bat about what you mean by the phrase science doesn't exist. So can you go into that a little bit? That's that I, I want to hear what you're saying about that. Yeah, sure. Um, I think we're on a bit of a delay, but I think it's I think it's working out OK. Um, so science doesn't exist. What exists are scientists, right? Science is an abstract idea, um, just like God is an abstract idea. Um, and so if there's this sort of public vague notion that something called science exists, well, then of course, this, this fictional thing called science, of course, is interested in reality and finding out about reality. Um, but if, if you think of it as science doesn't exist, scientists, human scientists exist and human scientists, you know, they have to get tenure. They have to, they have to look respectable to their peers. They have to get grants. They, they have, all sorts of things to think about and worry about. Um, you know, what scientist, human being scientist out there really, you know, sort of has an incentive to explore this very, very confusing, you know, as you were saying earlier, very um, hit and miss. You can't, you can't just set up a, a camera on a hill somewhere and, and expect to get a sighting. Um, it, it's a very confusing, and, and we can talk about all this, you know, why it's the elements that I think make it so confusing for scientists. Um, so I think what a lot of scientists do is instead of saying, look, uh, there's real, there's legitimate experiences out there. They're happening a lot. They're confusing. They're inconsistent. Uh, we can't come up with any law or equation. So, and, and they're very inconvenient. That's a, that's a big word in my book, inconvenient. So instead of saying all that, they say, oh, they, they don't exist. That's silly. Well, um, you know, earlier I, I just threw out the topic of dark matter and, and dark energy um, on. And that was actually a topic in my show last week, too, um, with a F-16 uh, fighter pilot. I uh, talked a little bit about that. Um, but I mean, that's another thing that, you know, we can't explain all of that, but yet scientists are convinced that it exists. Right, right. Um, and that's because there, there are consistent, there's consistent data that 
where they can look at the way, for instance, galaxies behave um, that just is not consistent with, uh, if there was only the kind of matter that we can see, for instance, um, the galaxies would behave differently. And this is something they can see consistently. They can make the measurements and then they can consistently see that the universe is expanding at a certain rate that cannot be explained with the known energy. So then they say, well, there's, there's this, must be this energy and this matter out there that's causing this. Um, so sure, they can talk about certain unknown things as long as they're sort of playing ball, playing on the scientist's terms, which are a lot to do with consistency, equations, predictability, uh, which, which none of this paranormal, quote, paranormal, um, stuff, it, it really is not playing ball, uh, <laughs> according to the rules of science, but that doesn't mm. mean it's not real. It doesn't mean it's not legitimate, which is what yeah. a lot of, a lot of respectable scientists will say. They'll just poo poo the whole realm. Now you actually, uh, sorry. Um, go ahead finish your, your, your thought there. Yeah, just at a certain, and, and I was just going to say, and, and it's a realm that is, uh, well-documented, in the history of all humanity and all cultures, uh, you know, in today's culture, they get called things like UFOs, Bigfoots, aliens. In other cultures, very similar phenomenon, but it was called different things, sometimes fairies or, you know, spirits of the dead or this, that, the other. So I, my book also kind of gets gets into the historical uh, dimensions of this type of phenomenon. Well, um so I think also we should probably just touch a little bit. I should have done this in the very beginning, but I guess it doesn't really matter. But you do have yeah. quite a bad, you have an interesting background. So you're not just someone just talking. You know, you, you have uh, an education. Uh, you went to Harvard and you want to just give a little bit of your background? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little eclectic. Um, yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I'll preface, I'll preface my uh, description of my background by saying that it is eclectic. And, and that's, I think one of the things I can bring to the discussion is I, I, I'm not part of a, a, a sort of a one small culture. I, I'm, I'm not an academic. Um, I'm an artist. I write poetry. Um, I've written screenplays. Uh, comedy. I've written. Com I was on the Harvard Lampoon, which is a comedy magazine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I do that, or I, I, I sort of, you know, here and there. Um, and I also teach science and math. Um, my father was an academic and a, and a scientist, and he, he's still alive. He's retired. Um, and he had a pretty atheist, you know, kind of conventionally scientific outlook. Um, my mother. Uh, ended up being a spiritual seeker. Uh, they divorced when I was about nine. Um, and so she was more open to sort of alternative um, spiritual kind of areas. And so I, I've been kind of almost like a foot in both worlds in terms of um, my mother and my father. And I think w one of the sort of impetuses behind my book was to, you know, let we can marry them. Like we, we don't, I'm not saying science is, is, is crap and useless at all. Um, it's <laughs> obviously we're talking together right now because of science. 
Um, so, so this is this is more the big picture, the ultimate, um, the ultimate view of reality. So yeah, I, I, I was a biology major at Harvard. I, I, I started writing comedy there. Um, I taught some I taught some high school uh, math and science. Uh, went down to LA with a writing partner, and uh, we we got an agent. I, I had some success with a with a script down there. Um, I ended up not really liking LA and Hollywood. That sort of just wasn't my scene. So uh, came back up to the the Bay Area, Northern California, uh, where my mom and and my sister lives. So I kind of have roots up here. Um, and and I wrote another screenplay up here. Um, and then I started getting actually into into the guitar. So I learned that and started a band and. I uh, recorded some songs. Um, that wasn't very lucrative. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so then uh, I've been teaching science and uh, and math and uh, and getting more into um, sort of philosophy poetry um, lately. And uh, my whole life, really, I've been fascinated by by all the stuff I talk about in the book. It's it's been a lifelong exploration, whether it's Carl Jung or Buddhism or, um, you know, what we know about Jesus. So sort of, you know, historical biblical exploration, um, channeling, um, and of course, paranormal phenomena and just trying to make sense of it all and sort of integrate it into some kind of notions about reality uh, that, that makes sense to me. I don't know. If, I don't know if that made sense. I kind of jumped all over the place there, but huh, happy to yeah. clarify anything. Yeah, um, I just want to do a little shout out to Mark Stanley, who is a fantastic musician. Um, he's in our chat, and uh, I think he might know who you are. Uh, he or he just said it's kind of the mirror of your life, of his life. Very similar. Very similar life. Yeah, check out Mark Stanley online. He's he's really an incredible musician. And he went through a really hard time and, and, uh, and he's doing really well. So, uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, he's, he says hi to everyone. Um, so, uh, now as far as like the UFO topic, I know that, you know, this is a show about UFOs, but you also think that do you, it, when you're saying that science can't explain it, can you just kind of go into what you, what your thoughts are about that? Right. So it, I'm going to back up a little with the big picture and I, I will yeah, sure. hopefully answer the question. So one of the one of the ideas I think that's out there, particularly with regard to sort of the scientific, um, let's say, lens or view, is that, again, science sort of is, is clear eyed. There's no there's no bias. There's no, there's no prejudice. We, we take data as they come, you know, and we deal with the data, we deal with the evidence. Um, I don't think that's true. I think, I think that every view of reality, in, in a way, I don't think there is such a thing as reality as, a, as one thing, because as humans, we, we, see re we have to see reality through a certain lens. We have to make certain assumptions um, you know, when I see, when I see some wood stuck together in a certain way, I call that a chair. I, 
I bring the concept of a chair to that. But you, so say, say a, a, a Neanderthal or a Cro-Magnon person saw that. They don't have that concept. They, they, they would probably see 12 pieces of kindling. Um, they don't. So there's, they're sort of drawing lines in reality in different places, right? They're drawing lines around each little stick. Um, so, and th this is the reason I wrote a whole book about it is it's not a, it's not a simplistic kind of concept to get across, but, but I'm doing my best here. Um, so we, we bring lenses to the world and these lenses or assumptions, you could call them, they're not right or wrong. You know, there are ways of interacting with the world. So science's way of inter interacting with the world is very analytical. It, it, it likes to break, break things down. Um, and it also likes what's predictable. Science, you could say, and some have said, science is really fundamentally about making predictions. You know, um, here's an, this is an equation or a law. Um, but we forget that, that to, to say something is predictable or consistent or follows an equation, that those are all lenses that we bring to a situation. Um, and we tend not to see our lenses because we're always looking through them. It, to us, it's just, this is reality. This is how it is. Um, and, and so one of the, one of the big lenses, I, I think the major lens in the sort of Western scientific view of the world is, is what I call division vision, which, which loves to divide things. So, we see that, of course, in our politics. We see that right now in our politics. We see that with race. You know, ra race is really, there's no such thing as pure any race. We're all mixed. Um, quantum physics has recently shown that every particle in the universe is actually a wave spread out across the whole universe. So this things really aren't as divided as we like to think they are. I mean, I'm, I don't have the same body I had seven years ago. I'm, I'm constantly exchanging particles with the environment. Um, I don't know where my consciousness ends. There's, there's no border to, we make all these assumptions about, you know, here's this thing, here's this thing, here's this thing. But just a little bit of poking reveals that these, these borders can be, be very helpful. And they certainly are very helpful. Um, but they're they're inadequate for looking at things, for instance, like a UFO. Um, one of the huge one of the huge things that we divide in our culture is the subjective and the objective. And you know, there may be people listening right now saying, well, of course we do that because that's they're obviously separate. Um, but not all cultures have actually um, seen the world that way. In fact, uh, animistic peoples, which who probably preceded, you know, all religions on the planet back, say, before the ancient Greeks, did not divide the world between the subjective experience and the objective experience. Um, there's even some cultures today, the uh, the Yukakers, the I don't know how you pronounce it. They're in Siberia. They don't have a word for nature as opposed to culture, nature or us, them. They're just part of it. Um, so I, I think subjective objective is, a, is something that, that UFOs, it's a distinction that UFOs and other phenomena like this are, are challenging. Um, 
And it shouldn't be that surprising because quantum physics, again, has shown that the observer affects the observed, right? We Things are waves until we look at them and then they become particles. So it's not even scientifically that far-fetched a notion that there is this interplay between the subjective and the objective world. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, quantum physics is just baffling. I, I look into that quite a bit, just, you know, um, just watching documentaries and, and things like that. But it really is so bizarre. And and it, it, it doesn't, you know, things just seem like they can't be real. For instance, you know, if you take all the space out of an atom, for one thing, uh, I mean, uh, how small a person would be, um, yeah. you know, like on the fit on the tip of a pin, you know, that, that yeah. type of thing. And, and it's crazy. And then that also goes um, with black holes and how they are, they can just compact all the way down into, you know, almost to nothing, which is just amazing. You know, the whole thing. There's so many concepts we can't really understand when it comes to what's around us. And there's there's a noted uh, UFO researcher, Jacques Vallée. I don't know if you've heard of him. I don't know how much you've looked into. Oh, you have. Um, and he, you know, his, his uh, one of the things that he says is, you know, maybe what UFOs are and what we're seeing is we have no idea to even how to describe what it is or something like that. It's really, you know, kind of almost along those lines. Right. It's pretty interesting. Yes, or, it, 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 I think it really challenges the way we look at the world in very fundamental ways. It's not, it's, it's not a, it's not a phenomenon that we can make sense of without, without, you know, looking at some really basic assumptions underneath those and one of those assumptions, you know, being the, the subjective objective. Um, uh, another great book I uh, want to give a shout out to is um, uh, by a guy named Patrick Harper. He's an English writer. Um, he has a book called Demonic Reality, um, which is a really great read that that kind of puts these UFO type phenomena in, into a historical perspective. Hmm. So I, I recommend that book. Of yeah. course, you, you should get mine first, but then but then his. <laughs> <laughs> you have to get yours first because it, you know, that's, it It just makes sense that way, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. The historical aspect of, of this is really quite fascinating as well. You know, I mean, some of the cave paintings are pretty weird, you know, and I've, I've never really been all that into like the ancient alien type thing, but there are, there are some things that really are puzzling. And, you know, just, just the fact that say, if we are being, let's just throw it out there that we, maybe we are being visited by extraterrestrial. Well, it doesn't have to be just in our contemporary time. I mean, if, uh, you know, intelligence has existed for billions of years or whatever out there, um, you know, we could have been visited from the very beginning. It doesn't really matter, you know. Right, right. So, and and really, basically, if you think about it, the time where humans have been on this earth is very short time. You know, it's a very, uh, when you compare it to the length of the earth has been here, it's way down to uh, not, you know, 
uh, there's a guy named Mark D'Antonio. He's a friend. And he does this exhibition at a conference where he'll take a roll of toilet paper, something like 300 feet. I can't remember exactly what it is. And he goes around the toilet paper and he says, okay, he has people holding it up in a room. It's really funny. It's all, it's all taped together so the toilet paper doesn't fall apart. But he'll walk around and he'll say, okay, this is where first life began. And what the toilet paper represents is the earth, the lifetime of the earth. And then he says, okay, this is where the first uh, um, fish walked out of the sea or whatever it is. And then he goes, uh, this is where the dinosaurs were. And then when it comes to humans, we're right at the very end of that roll of toilet paper, a very little tiny, tiny bit. So that's all we've been here for a very short time when, it, when it's yeah. in relation. And I love that illustration because it's so hard to wrap your brain around time or anything. Anything I've, I've heard it well said that it's hard for the average person to understand anything over the figure of 10,000. You know, anything over that, it's hard to wrap your brain around how, how many people that is, how many anything that is. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot that's hard to wrap your brain around. Uh, you know, going back to what you were saying about um, quantum physics and the sort of the weird or just modern physics in general and, and the weirdness that's there. Um, that's kind of another interesting paradox to me is that so you, you've got these, of course, weird phenomenon like UFOs or various other paranormal events, but which which many scientists uh, poo-poo or don't don't even kind of look into. Not that they need to, you know, they've got their own lives and stuff to do, um, and yet they can talk with straight faces about you know the the stuff that you mentioned where you know there's. There's the whole universe they think was condensed to smaller than a speck of sand at the Big Bang. I mean, that's right. that's crazier than anything I've heard anywhere, right? Yeah. And the idea that every electron in the universe is a is a wave spread out across the universe. Uh, I mean, this is the most absurd thing I've ever heard from anyone. <laughs> and so there are certain types types of this absurdity. That the general public doesn't, I, I don't think mostly even knows about that scientists accept because, well, it's it's a certain type of absurdity, right? I've asked, I had uh, Avi Loeb on one of the, he's uh, a Harvard uh, astronomer. Um, he's probably the last one I asked this question to. And I think I even mentioned this last week. So pardon me for repeating myself. But I've asked every astronomer that's been on this show could the Big Bang be wrong? That's the question I pose to them. And so far, every single one of them says about the same thing. Well, we have so much evidence of it. You know, all the evidence points to that. It really, that's how it happened. And then the next question I ask them, well, what was before then? You know, what, what was there before then? And, and it usually hear the thing about, well, that's where time began or whatever, but right. I don't know. It's such a, such a hard concept but um i really like the thing you said and i'd like to touch i'd like for you to touch on it a little bit more and that is the filter the filter that we all look through it's it's kind of like the bias and i think you know i think science has a bias against the ufos you know it's pretty right. obvious it's still the right. ridicule factor and 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 i think you know right on the right at the very start 
um, it's hard to get anyone to fund any research or everything or anything like that because of the, you know, the Looney Tunes factor on this whole thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so for sure, one of the filters is just straight up ridicule, you know, straight up. You, you don't want to be that scientist walking down the hall of your physics department that's that's interested in UFOs. I mean, you get I, you know about John Mack. Oh, yeah. 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 So I don't know that much about him, but I heard that, you know, he just for showing an interest in the in the the Zimbabwe incident. Um, you know, he went down there and, and I think he wrote a book about it. Hit Harvard, you know, investigated him and questioned his ability to be a professor. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe you know more about that than I do. But, um, you know, uh, sociologist James McLennan, you have you, you know, James McLennan. I, I can't think of who that is, but go ahead. OK. Um, he wrote a book called Wondrous Events. Uh, he was a sociologist and uh, interested in this area and, um, you know, sent out some questionnaires to some scientists and some wrote back just urging that he be kicked out of grad school just for just for taking a survey about experiences in this, you know, or attitudes in this area. So um, scientists are not, you know, any more emotionally mature than anyone else. Um, they they got these, you know, it's almost like a middle school playground, you know. Oh, hey, he, he's into UFOs, you know. <laughs> so there's that filter, just pure social, social um, stigma or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then there's the filter that I that I mentioned before, which is about consistency and predictability. So what's consistent for a scientist? What's consistent is what's real. Right. It's all about can we repeat this experiment in the lab? Uh, um, and we all know that UFOs and all these phenomena are not consistent. We can't we can't predict them. So. So to a scientist, by definition, that's sort of not real. It's kind of like a dream. You know, you, you, your dreams aren't real. Um, UFOs aren't real because they're not consistent. We, we can't come up with a law or an equation. But you can't, you can't just say, well, reality is whatever's consistent. We, you know, I call it reality is what can, what's consistent. Um, reality may not be consistent. Um, I don't I don't think that it's an impossible dream that scientists could make progress um, in in this. But I don't think they're really close to being able to right now. I think I think their energies are better spent on things that will end up being a little more practical um, because it's it, it's a big, confusing and. Um, it's just a big, confusing topic. It's like a jungle that, that, you know, you, you have to enter. So I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah. But, but also, um, the filter is, and I think, you know, we brought this up off air or, or I did, I, I mentioned to you that I thought that as long as humans have been around, the contemporary times that they're in, they think they know everything, you know, whether, 
the Romans or, you know, and they were a lot smarter than, you know, we give them credit for, but whatever in that era. But we always think we know everything there is to know. It's the most bizarre thing. So I don't, I don't really know, you know, what, yeah. what will ever change when it, when it comes to that. And, you know, a lot of that is ego based. Uh, a lot of it is fear based because I should know, you know, I mean, yes. that type of thing. I, I agree with you completely. It, it it blows my mind that that a scientist today can can talk with any sort of you know idea of authority about about ultimate reality or God based based exactly on what you're saying. Um, you know, at the end of the 1800s, right before Einstein, the sort of general scientific consensus was you know we have the world pretty well figured out. Um, you know, we've got we've got Newton's laws, we've got, we've got electricity, everything's kind of this machine and we can explain all the motion. And, and then, you know, within 10 years you have Einstein and the birth of quantum physics and the whole thing was just blown wide open. And then, so we know that you can have these explosions of utter bizarreness blowing things open. And yet some people are sort of cling to this idea that, Okay, yeah, but now we know. Now we're pretty close to knowing everything. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not buying it. <laughs> I'm not either. And that's also another another thing that comes up a lot when um, the skeptics of the UFO or the ex being uh, the possibility of us being visited by extraterrestrial is impossible because they're too far away. Well, yes, they're the the distances are just mind blowing for sure. Right. But but I also think that. Well, an intelligence has been around for a very long time. Then they discovered something in physics that we're not aware of. You know, that's that's basically uh, I mean, that's a possibility. There's right. some way to travel that we just have not thought of yet. And maybe it has nothing to do with the speed of light and nothing to do with any of that. Maybe it's something else. Totally. Right. And, you know, maybe we'll figure it out. Maybe we won't. Yeah. You know, someday. yeah, we we love to know things. We, you know, um, we we just love that feeling of being able to say, make grand statements, and know things. Um, and in fact, that's sort of another difference between our culture and and some some of the animistic cultures you read about, where uh, one one sociologist was was with a. Uh, were the tribe where they she mentioned this concept called percept ambiguity, which basically it's just sort of um, there's a greater comfort with mystery, a greater comfort with, you know, OK, this is going on. We don't have to explain it or, you know, um, but uh, I think we could benefit a lot by that, uh, by being able to say, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh you know the questions asking the right question that that you, you i i don't know if that's a topic you you know i mean that that's kind of the, like one of the most difficult things to figure out isn't it wouldn't you say is what to know for a question yeah absolutely because there are, there are a million questions you can ask so which one you pick it's almost like you've already decided the answer uh in, in some ways it can be that way right you you pick a question where you know the answer is going to lead you in a certain way. So a question is like an assumption, or or you could even say it's like a lens. Um, it's 
questions are not just sort of neutral things that you you bring to to a situation, right? The question matters. Yeah. 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 Oh, right. oh interesting. So, um, so you have obviously you've looked into the UFO subject a bit, and and what are your what is your thoughts overall? Do you think there's really something to it, or are you still a big question mark, or how do you feel about UFOs in general? Well, so I, I absolutely think there's something to it. I think there. Um, I don't. I don't know. I would say that they are not necessarily. I would say they're real, but not real in the way that we're used to thinking of real. I think they challenge even the notion of reality. Um, so that science science needs to look at things that are agreed upon by pretty much everyone on the planet, right? We can all we can all put our finger on this computer screen. Um, we can all agree it's this long and this wide. So that, that's a certain realm of reality. It's a certain communal realm of reality that there's a sort of, you could say it's an agreement or something, but it's a, it's a realm that we can all move in together. Doesn't mean it's the only realm. So I think there are realms that are, that are more about sort of crossing some of these borders that we, we put up between the subjective and the objective. What I can, from what I can tell, uh, UFO phenomenon are, are, are sort of a mixture of the subjective and the objective. So you, you've got, you've got um, many, many situations where there's multiple witnesses. I'm sure you're, you're more aware than I am of, of those. Um, so there's the multiple witness. There's, there is a certain communal aspect of that. Uh, th there are, there are certain um, lasting evidence, so to speak. Maybe it's a radar ping or a, high radiation levels or some footprints or imprints in the ground. There are, there are physical manifestations and they are, um, and shared experiences, but there's a sort of tendency for them, for the evidence to not quite be solid or, you know, or for obviously for things to kind of disappear. And how many times have UFOs just kind of shot off or disappeared? Um, you know, which is not, which is not the way sort of normal objective things operate. Then you've got, then you've got the people who there's a sort of a dreamlike quality to some of the um, abduction reports. Uh, people, people report sort of, you know, there are these time lapses. There's this, it's just sort of dreamlike, you know, and then there's certain evidence again that, that it did happen. Maybe they feel ill or they wind up in some remote spot but it can never quite be pinned down, right? So there's, they just don't seem quite objective, but they're not, they're definitely not just subjective. And I, and this is a realm that our culture just, just does not have the vocabulary for or the mindset to sort of make sense of that realm, but it's a legitimate realm. Oh, you're muted. Pardon me. Yes, I muted for a second. Um, I have to take care of something, but first of all, I just wanted to, uh, the wind is picking up here. And uh, for those of you that can see this, this is my setup. And you'll see that umbrella for a sun filter. And uh, that's starting to go wild. So I got to have Bill, I got to take that down. I got to have Bill take over for me for a few minutes. Hey, Bill.
Uh, thank I am you here. for doing that. I'll take I'll take myself out until I get that fixed, and I'll be okay. It's interesting that you were just touching on that, Chris, because I was thinking there are a lot of people that make a connection between the metaphysical um, proponent of this. And you mentioned dreams, lucid dreaming, uh, meditation, um, connection through some type of a medical, I mean, a metaphysical connection with some type of spiritual guide or divine being. Uh, is, Is there any basis of science because a lot of people try to you know put credibility to that and is there anything that we can use from a scientific perspective to pursue that kind of um theory i to my mind no i don't i don't see science right now being helpful with that i think science right now just doesn't want to look at that realm is not is not really equipped to look at that realm again i i don't I don't say science is, you know, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but I don't say science is wrong or bad or anything like that. I just, I just say that science is equipped to do certain things. Um, and they, I don't think they're equipped to investigate what you're, what you're talking about. But I mean, it's also based on frequency vibration. Um, there's the quantum physics perspective on this. Um, I just find I it. See, it- I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I, I do think I do think, you know, speaking very generally, vibration is, a, is an important word in all this. Um, it sort of I think there's a lot of um, sort of an analogy with being on certain frequencies. So, you know, an antenna antenna can be tuned to a certain frequency and it, it there can be another frequency going right by it. It's not going to notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean this. That doesn't mean this radiation is not real. Right. So. If we think of our mind as an antenna, then there's you can think of sort of this idea like, well, why don't I, what if I tune my mind right here? Oh, look, I can pick it up now. Um, and that, I mean, you know, there's a huge tradition, um, largely in India, a spiritual tradition of yogis, for instance, just doing amazing things with all sorts of eyewitnesses, which, you know, remind me of that sort of like, in India, there's a tradition of training your mind to to do things that we in the West would, would just think are absurd. But in India, it's, it's just a tradition when it's possible and it's done all the time. And I, I do think the sort of frequency vibration thing is a good analogy for that. Is that also about accessing uh, part of the brain? I mean, um, we all, they, a lot of people bring up the, the numbers that how much of the brain that we actually use. Is it where people can actually access more of their brain power, so to speak, um, and, and, and making this connection? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like some people have more perception than others. Maybe right. some, some others have the ability to develop um, the use of their brains, uh, uh, maybe more than uh, you know, others. It's, I don't know if there's any real science um, and again, we're talking the science connection um, with this. Do, right. do you see that as a possibility? Yeah, I think so. I think I think that sort of these types of abilities are are actually like any other. You know, you can be born with a you know a predilection for being a good at basketball or good at, at playing the cello. I think you can be born with certain spiritual capacities or certain sort of talents, if you will that are like any other talent that can be developed. 
Um, in fact, it's funny, the CIA uh, said basically that exactly that in a report. Um, it's, it's footnoted in my book. It's online uh, that remote viewing, they've tested remote viewing, you know, for for um, defense purposes. And they concluded that it's it's like any other skill. It it is real. It it works, and certain people are better at it than others. But everyone can develop it to a right. certain, at least to a certain extent. The reason the reason I was bringing this up to you, I'm, I was all getting to a point before Martin gets back with us. The, yeah, the people that have abductee experiences, um, yeah. they seem to oh, there's a quite a bit of those that say they now have some type of an ability, psychic ability or a connection with whatever the entity was. So, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Was something triggered in their mind? Was something implanted in their mind? Was something altered in their brain? I mean, that to me is is a question. That's why it, it could be cross-connected in that way. That's why I was trying to right. drive out a little bit. Because the experiences talk about that all the time. After they have an experience of having a raised awareness, consciousness, ability, psyche, uh, you know, telekinesis, it, right. the list goes on, um, Chris. That's why I was wondering what your take on was the makeup of the brain and the scientific data or analysis that has been made with that proponent. But anyway, you can answer that. Have a great rest of the show, Martin and Chris. Bill, and, yes. Bill you can. You ask great questions. You can hang out if you'd like to, or do you have to go? Well, I will go because we're going to take phone calls at some point in this hour, and that's when it gets a little busy. That's right. Well, we get on the top of the hour, we're going to be taking a break. But I'm always here if you need and, me. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. That was great. Yeah, yeah you're, always, you're always great, Bill. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So, I, you know, of course, I didn't catch exactly what you, want, you were talking about. So um, uh, the umbrella's down. We won't have a Mary Poppins thing happen here. And uh, so we're all good here. But still... Um, I, I heard you you talk a little bit about was it the consciousness aspect that people bring up? Or I heard he talked about the abilities, which is um, have you ever heard about those situations? Because there's been quite a few people claiming they've had these new abilities, like Bill was talking about. Um, so so you're asking have I heard of, of that happening after an encounter? Say yeah. You know, I I think now that now that you both bring it up, I think I have. Um, it, it doesn't surprise me in the least because, um, you know, I know that I know that there are people, legitimate people that have certain um, capacities. You know, I think there are there are perfectly legitimate um, channelers, psychics, um, and I was I was talking to Bill, Indian yogis, all of whom have you know learned to learn to do something with their human capacity that that we in the West would would just say is ridiculous or impossible um and i was i was mentioning also to bill that in fact the cia uh basically said remote viewing works um and can be you know trained and developed and and it should be a part of the the dod intelligence gathering community this was i think this was back in 2004 they declassified that i don't know what they're doing with it now if anything or if it's proven helpful um, but they, according to the CIA, um, who, unlike academia, you know, will explore some of these things, uh, remote viewing is, is a skill like any other. Um, in fact, I don't know. Are you aware of the book uh, Travels by Michael Crichton? Do you guys talk about that at all? 
No, um, I like the author though, but no, I'm not, I'm not really uh, familiar with that particular book. It's really, it's a great book. You'd enjoy it. It's called Travels. It's a, it's nonfiction. Um, and Michael Crichton was a pretty free thinker. And uh, he, he was also a Harvard man. And he actually went to Harvard Med School, but he stopped. Um, he didn't want to become a doctor because he sort of didn't like the um, kind of cold attitude in, in Western medicine. But anyway, he, he had a lot of interesting experiences in the sort of paranormal. And his conclusion was that once you sort of get used to them, they sort of become mundane. Like they're sort of, they're like, they're kind of like anything else. What Like once you learn to ride a bike, it's no big deal. Um, and I think that there are these capacities, human capacities that basically our Western culture just either ridicules or ignores. Um, and so they don't get developed. They don't get talked about. There's no sort of tradition for passing down how to do it. And you just get people sort of hit and miss, kind of finding out how to do it on their own. Then they get labeled a quack maybe. And then of course you do have scam artists. I mean, that's not to say oh, yeah. there are psychics out there that are just, you know, completely duping people. Uh, but that doesn't mean every, all of them are. Yeah, that's right. There's a, there's this great um, guy that was on the show a few times, Kevin Gnuth, he's a scientist and a professor and he has an interest in the UFO topic. And he recalls this time where he would go to these conferences and there was one guy there that everyone was kind of silently laughing at, saying, you know, the guy's a nut because he believes in this um, earthquake lights. You know, that was the, there's a phenomenon uh, that he was talking about and studying about it and, and making, you know, some, writing papers or whatever it was he was doing about it. And then, um, like, again, like I said, everyone was calling him a quack behind his back. Ends up he was right. You know, there was really something to it. And so that's, um, Kevin Gnuth said, that's when I realized that, you know, if there's something to this UFO thing, I don't care if I'm ridiculed. I want to I want to be on the ground floor when this thing is, when we discover this thing. And that's why he's, he's involved in it today, which is pretty interesting. That, that reminded me of a quote. I was just looking for it in my book. I, I won't try to find the exact quote, but it's by a Spanish uh, writer, philosopher, Miguel de Unamuno, who said the greatest, the, the, the greatest height of heroism to which an individual can attain is to know how to face ridicule. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, that makes sense, given that uh, on lists of things people fear the most, usually speaking in public is above death. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. Uh, so there, I think he's on to something there that this this not wanting to be ridiculed is a big deal. And that that has a big effect on how much this whole topic kind of sees the light of day in our culture. That's right. Yes, I have a very close family member that had such a fear of speaking publicly that he decided he was going to push himself into improv. And now he's he's like he won this award in his troupe or whatever as being getting the most laughs of anyone else. Um, so and, and he loves what he's doing. He's 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 working. He's doing a lot down in Boston. Um, but anyway, um, 
so it's 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 like I understand I understand the fact of the ridicule thing, and personally, at this point in my life, I really don't care. Um, right. You know, I, I have a lot of trolls here on YouTube. Knock yourself out. Just have a blast. Um, right. Because uh, <laughs> I really don't care what what you say, and uh, um, you know, you you just have to be happy with what you're doing personally. Right. Right. And and I love doing the show, and I'm I'm happy with how it's going, and. You don't like it you don't have to watch that's all there is to it take that trolls <laughs> well i love your open mind yeah well it's uh it's really interesting and we um i think we're about we're just a minute away from break but i think um, i think i'm going to go in early um i'm going to just let bill know uh to the break we're going to go into the break right now and we'll be back in about four minutes so for those of you over at kgra radio Stay tuned. We'll be back uh, right after these messages. And for you here on YouTube, Facebook, and all the others, we have a little a fun clip for you. Orson Welles, this was back in 1975, and it's from the U.S. Uh, National Archives, which is a site where we can post videos and not worry about copyright. So here we go. persuasion that through all the deep of space no life existed beyond the petty surface of our own minute sphere we know now that in the early years of the 20th century this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Across an immense ethereal gulf, minds that are to our minds as our minds are to the beasts in the jungle, intellects vast, cool, and unsympathetic regarded this earth with envious eyes. And surely drew their plans against us. Hello, I'm Orson Wells, and I've been quoting from another Wells, no relation, H.G. Wells, the distinguished novelist, historian, prophet, who was also the great master of science fiction. He wrote The War of the Worlds, on which was based a certain notorious radio broadcast, which, as some of you may remember, sent many thousands of our listeners panicking into the streets all over the country. H.G. denounced me for doing it, but later when he realized that our broadcast, like his story, was not intended to cause riots, but just to entertain, we got to be good friends. I was forgiven. Whether all those people who jammed the highways and even 
took to the hills to escape the Martians have forgiven me. It's another matter. This is it. We thought that this was it. Listening to that show, uh, I said we were very impressionable at that age because of Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. And uh, that really made a big impression on us. One fellow in particular who owned a store took the money from his cash register and loaded his car up with food and took off for the mountains and left his wife and children at home. New York City was just demolished. And they were uh, uh, coming closer. All of New North Jersey is an inferno. And they are proceeding south. I conceive, can conceive of no night. All right, welcome back. This is Martin Willis, and I am back with the guest, Chris Spark. Uh, Chris, let's talk quickly about your book, right, um, since we're just coming right back here from the break. And I'm going to try to see if I can pull up or hold up the title, if you would, to, I mean, the book itself. Right there, The Science Spell, and under Chris Spark, and that's on Amazon. And that link will be in the show notes and up in the YouTube text uh, later on this evening. But... Uh, so let's let's talk about what you know what motivated you to actually write this book. Um, you know, it, it might have been to uh, to convince my father. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that might be the. I I don't know. That's one answer. I don't think there's a there's there is one answer, but that is one. Um, he, it's not like he was sort of, a, you know, like spouting off about how the spiritual world is, is, um, all crap, but he, you know, I, I did have a different view of things from him. And I think, I just think I had that in my mind as sort of like, so partly him, but also, you know, I would hear, I would hear scientists sort of dismiss stuff and, talk about things in a certain way. And it, it just, it, it bugged me. And I also, I didn't like the idea of um, maybe, maybe as I talk, I'm going to get closer to the, the truth. Um, I actually, when I was a kid, I used to lie awake sometimes at night or, and just think about how I was going to die. And my consciousness would be extinguished for eternity. And I just, I could not see any other way that, I could not see any way that anything besides that could be true, right? Like that just seemed to be absolutely, there's, that's like, it seemed like a no brainer. That's what, that's what happens. Um, and so, you know, a certain age, it occurred to me like, well, that's gonna happen to me. And it was terrifying. Um, and I, I think that, I mean, that's that's sort of what a lot of intelligent, ed educated, scientific, Western, you know, people believe that sort of that's what the evidence shows. And, you know, it's not like, of course, this book is proof of an afterlife or anything like that. But I just wanted to I also wanted to write a book to sort of let let someone continue to be intelligent, but see that there is so much in the way of possibility and that being intelligent 
believing in science does not mean that there are not other worlds and um, it's not in conflict with spirituality. So I think that's probably the big thing. So tell me your father read the book. He's read some of it. <laughs> I don't like to force things on people when they don't want to do it. So, yeah, yeah. And what did, did he give you some feedback? He said he was going to, and then, and then it just kind of slipped by and other things became more important. I have a wonderful, I have a wonderful connection with him. Um, and it, it just no longer feels like something that has to be sort of on the table between us, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 You know, it's funny, this, uh, I never really thought about that type of thing too deeply about, you know, what happens and all that stuff. But, you know, it's, it's quite amazing because there's so many people that are interested in the UFO field that also have an interest in this type of things, whether it's the near death experiences or life after death or, you know, all, all, all of the past, past lives, all of that. Um, I try to be open-minded. That's how I think, um, you know, we learn things is by being open-minded. So it's, uh, you know, these are all things, uh, we don't have any evidence that there's nothing. We don't have any evidence that there's something. And I don't see how there ever could be, you know, how could science ever explain any of that anyway, right? Right, right. Well, I, I, I mean, I would say there, there is a type of evidence that there's something in the form of people's experiences with, with, with near death. Um, you know, some people would call that evidence, some people wouldn't. Um, I make a distinction in my book between experience and evidence. Um, and so what I say is that th there's, there's human experience. That's the biggest, that's the biggest thing there is in terms of um, kind of what, what we have to go on, right? What, what do we have to go on? We have human experience to go on. We have our own experience and we have what other people say to us. Um, hmm. And of course you have to be, you know, shrewd and, and sort of consider whether what someone's telling you is, is a lie, but human experience is really big. Let's say this is human experience and it includes very compelling experiences with all manner of, you know, UFOs and spirits and channeling and near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences. And then there's what science calls evidence, which we could say is this, this part. Hmm. Science, science isn't looking at human experience. Science is looking at certain types of human experience. And it's looking at that experience through a certain lens. And it's trying to make, it's trying to bring generalized concepts out of that, like force equals mass times acceleration. So I think that's a really important distinction is, are you interested in human experience that, you know, I can see no way, for instance, like I watched the Travis Walton uh, documentary. I'm sure you saw that. Yeah. You know, I watched that. I haven't personally talked to an abductee, but I just can see no way that, you know, that he's making this up. You know, it, it, I'm not that cynical. So um, now I don't know where I was going with this, but basically 
I'm not going to write off that experience. I'm not going to write off that human experience because I have some idea of how the universe works. And then when you add up all the other people who've had similar experiences, um, it just, there's a lot out there. Right. Uh, I'm really glad that you brought up Travis Walton. And the reason uh, that I'm glad is I'd like to address something. And that is uh, Mike Rogers, who was on this show at one point, um, but was very, very um, unusual. I don't, I don't want to say anything negative or too negative, but, um, but I, I will just say this. Mike has some issues. And who is, who is that? Mike Rogers was the uh, supervisor of the when Travis Walton was uh, abducted. Okay. And he was the one who was actually driving the truck and made the decision to go back and all that. Okay. So um, interesting guy. But right now he's out there publicly saying that they hoaxed it. The whole thing was a hoax. And I'm oh, okay. sticking up. I'm sticking up for Travis Walton because I don't I don't believe what Mike is saying is true. Mm -hmm. And um, and I don't care if, you know, he threatens me or whatever. He has sent me some very strange emails. I will tell you that. But I will tell you this, too, that I, I think Travis Walton's story is solid. Uh, here's a quote from Mike Rogers. Mike said, well, um, the UFO sure looked real. So why would you go in the middle of the woods and bring a UFO in the middle of the woods if it was just going to be a story? You know, I mean, that absolutely makes no sense. So what I'm just saying is he's out there spouting things that make no sense, but he's trying to get attention. And I just want to say that uh, Travis Walton, I think his story is solid. And I've invited him on the show to talk about it if he'd like to, but I think he just wants to hang low, kind of let it blow over. But I know that people are hearing about it because I'm getting a lot of emails. So if you're hearing about it, just ignore Mike Rogers because uh, Mike is just trying to cause trouble and stir things up so anyway i'm glad I, i'm glad you brought that up it got me it gave me the opportunity to talk about it hang on you know my mic. that's a that's kind of a it reminds me of um sort of something i talk about in the book with respect to michael crichton who i mean so michael crichton was someone who when he wrote that book travels um he was a he was a successful novelist. He had he had three best selling novels under his belt. He had directed you know a picture or two in Hollywood. He was a successful um, a successful guy. Um, also, of course, he had the uh, the snazzy Harvard credentials and the Harvard Med School thing. And he he just took some time to write this book. And you know he wrote about he wrote about going to a spoon bending party where he he says I bent a spoon and I knew it wasn't a trick. Um, and, and other phenomena. And there's a sort of quiet matter of factness to this. He, he wasn't out there. He didn't mount a crusade, you know, for, to try to get everyone to believe in it. Um, there are debunkers out there who sort of do mount crusades. Um, uh, you know, like someone like Michael Shermer, the skeptic magazine, uh, editor, he gives talks and, but, you, you know, to me, there's enough of this just sort of quiet under the radar people reporting these things. They're not trying to get attention. They're not trying to do anything except say, Hey, this happened. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty ironic where um, the last guest I had last week, the um, F 16 
fighter pilot, someone wrote me, um, he's just trying to make money and he's made yeah. zero, zero, um, right. Not even a penny on any of this It's just a fascination. So there is, there is this, uh, definitely this misconception that, you know, people may say, Oh, Chris Spark is just trying to sell his book. Well, it's, it's a lot more than that. There's uh, this is, you know, a, a very interesting topic and I'm thrilled you're, you're willing to talk about it. Well, it's fun. And I, I really appreciate you uh, giving me the, the forum and, and uh, having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, okay. So your father, you talked about your father and kind of like the old school science. Um, do have you felt that there's any um, more liberal thoughts to science um, in the last several years, anything changing, or do you think it's still very rigid? I mean, I, I may not be the best person to ask that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't kind of have my, my finger on the pulse of, of academia. Um, so sure. I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. Well, how about your teachings in school is, um, is it just the basic science that say I would have had in high school over the years or are things getting more interesting? Uh, I, you know, I, I just stick to the basics, um, your, your basic biology, chemistry, physics. And, uh, you know, if someone, if someone starts asking me about my opinion, uh, I'll tell them, um, mm -hmm. about, you know, but I don't, I don't push any of that or, yeah, unless I sort of feel like I have an invitation to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you mentioned John Mack earlier, and uh, I have a, a very high regard for his work. I never knew him. He he was uh, killed in an accident, you know, I believe before I even started this show. So I never had an opportunity to talk with him. I would have loved to. But mm -hmm. um, there's a right there is a. Um, an example of someone that was willing to take the risk, you right. know, to, to look into this topic. And, um, you know, it's too bad, too bad he didn't live longer and do more, but it sounds to me that you've looked into the Ariel school incident. Have you? To some extent. Yeah. Very, a little bit. Yeah. To me, I, I've, I've said a number of times, I think that's one of the top UFO encounters or whatever you want to call it encounters of all time. And I, you know, the more I think about it over the years, I've, I would almost consider that the number one. Um, there is a film coming out um, and I get e email every week about it. And I, all I can tell people is that we should be seeing it by the end of this year. That's all I can say. And um, it will be fantastic because uh, Randy uh, Nick Nickerson does beautiful, beautiful work. He's really, it's really going to be a fantastic film when it's out. But for all those of you who email me almost every week, um, I'm not hearing back from, from Randy, but I just know that uh, through someone else that we should be seeing it by the end of the year. And keep your eyes open for that. It'll be fantastic. Yeah, that, um, that and uh, the Rendlesham Forest seem to me like a, a pretty, one of the ones that's pretty, pretty far up there. Yeah. Um, That's you know, right. before I forget, I wanted to just swing back about that when, you know, when you, you, you said, um, you know, someone will say, oh, he just did that for the money or wrote the book for the money. 
it's funny that you don't you don't hear that you know like uh, about Richard Dawkins who writes about you know the God delusion or a scientist right they didn't do it for the money they're just they're just objective scientists <laughs> Sam Harris Sam Harris is another example yeah right yeah right um, so I mean if if anyone anyone is open to that criticism it's just sort of spouting things off randomly because you don't yeah. like what's being said. Yeah, I've uh, I've listened to Dawkins uh, read his hate mail. I thought it, it's really hilarious. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, here's here's a question: Are you? This is up in chat, and uh, Jay Allen wants to know: Are you aware of Hal Putoff and Eric Davis physics research into the metamaterials? Uh, they have a contract with the Army to use USG military labs to investigate these artifacts. Which is that is all true. Wow! Have no, I, I was not. I was not aware of that at all. Yeah, interesting. Whether and and I don't know if that that goes to these crash UFO evidence, and I, I have no idea if that exists or not. You know, someone would ask me if, if there is materials for sure. I don't. I I wouldn't know. I wouldn't. There's a lot of people that say there is, but I don't even know. It, it the, the whole. True. To me, the UFO phenomenon is not, it's not restricted. This is sort of gets back to this theme of, of drawing boundaries and divisions um, and sort of separating things off into neat little convenient, you know, bite-sized pieces. To me, the UFO phenomena is not, it's not restricted to, you know, just Travis Welton in a, in a, in a, a spacecraft. It's, it's spread out. It like, it, it's sort of, it's this strange area where, you know, it, what reminded me was you're talking about the government, like, like, do they have materials? Are they hiding something? I heard this. I heard this. There's this sort of whole kind of strange mist around the topic that it, it just sort of makes you question beliefs and objectivity and subjectivity. And uh, it's a fascinating realm. And I don't pretend to you know, I, I feel like the almost the whole point of it is to um, kind of push our boundaries or our limits. Um, I think an interesting analogy is is the trickster. I don't know how, how uh, much aware you are of the, the, the trickster sort of um, god, if you will, in, in various mythologies. But I think UFOs and various phenomena like that are, are related to that. They're sort of they're, they're trickster-like figures that, that love to sort of push buttons and play with our kind of neat little convenient ideas about reality. And that's actually, that is their role in, in lots of mythologies is to just kind of shake things up and, you know, get you off your beaten path. And um, There's been a lot of that in, in this field, definitely. You know, going all the way back to Richard Doty and the Paul Benowitz case, these are all interesting things where there was all uh, misinformation pumped his way. So he would uh, he would look into something else away from the air base and stop filming what he was filming and, you know, that type of thing. So right. the, the government has done this in the past, you know, I mean, against its own right. people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it The whole topic seems to sort of bring out this sort of deceitful, subterfuge, strange behavior and it and it's just surrounds it all and it makes it very hard to to make heads or tails and say anything definitive about these things 
Yeah. You know, I've uh, said a number of times, I've, and I believe this, that um, perhaps the government knows maybe more than they're saying, but I really highly doubt that they know what it is. Right. You know, I don't think they know mm -hmm. that connection. And the rumors of Eisenhower meeting with aliens and all that stuff, I don't, I don't really buy that stuff, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, right. it is possible. Right. So, and uh, I don't know if you heard any of those rumors that there was a pact sign that they could abduct people um, if they gave technology that they had, you know, that type of thing. And that's why we had such yeah. a big spike in techno technology. Uh -huh. Yeah. No, I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> of course, it was aliens. Yes. Um, so there was another question that came up here. And speaking of questions, we're going to open the lines a little bit early tonight if anyone would like to call in and ask your question. But I did see another question. And if you're going to put a question in chat, please do put them in all caps. Um, this is, uh, he wanted to know, what, what are your thoughts on the Bermuda Triangle? Johnny wants to know that. Oh, um, you know, it, it, I don't, I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. I, I haven't, I didn't look into that too much for this book. Um, and, uh, it does seem though that there are certain places on the planet, um, where there's sort of active spots. Um, you know, and again, this, this goes back through, through history and, and cultures where, you know, there were sacred sites where there was the Oracle yeah. at Delphi where the Greeks would go and these fumes would come up from the earth. Um, sort of, you can think of them as sort of hot spots where, where this sort of energy or psychic, psychic energy sort of type phenomenon is more likely. There's little, what the Irish would call fairy hills, right? Where you're more likely to see fairies, which are very much similar type of phenomenon. So um, it certainly seems to me that there are places on the planet that are more prone to certain certain phenomena like that i agree and and that's just i mean trying to figure out how to explain that i mean it makes no sense at all and, right and and also when say for instance a ufos ufo sightings will happen over and over and over again in 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 one area and right almost predictable you know which is another right. uh crazy situation or so, like the the Mothman in uh, in West Virginia, I think it was. Mothman, um, yeah. Uh, the Marfa lights around Texas, uh, a quite a, a localized phenomenon that apparently, from what I read, has been going on since the Native Americans were the only people there. And there, sorry, there's a boat coming in. Um, there is, I think, there's uh, an attempt to prove what that is, but. Um, I don't know if that's, if that's, I haven't looked into that in particular, but ha have you looked into the Skinwalker Ranch? That's another good example of a crazy place. What is it? It's called the Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. No, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Uh, History Channel did a, um, a series on, I think they're still doing an active series, uh, possibly another season, but just many weird things happen, whether they're happening, happening when the camera crew is there or not, I don't know. Uh, you know, a lot of that, I don't want to say is staged, but um, some of that is just plain um, using the wrong equipment and getting readings, you know, things like that. But uh, anyway, it, it's interesting. We actually have someone uh, on 
the phone here. Let me uh, pull them up. Hang on just a second. We have uh, Carrie uh, calling hey, from California. Carrie calling from California. Hi, Hi, how are you? Hey, Martin. I'm fine, thank you. Hi, Chris. Hey, I was just going to you stole my you stole my question there. Uh, my response. Basically, what did he think of Skinwalker Ranch? And we have like Travis Taylor, who's an astrophysicist. But you brought up a point that was kind of interesting because Brandon and Thomas were with George Knapp this weekend. And you asked if like maybe some of the things are sort of staged for the cameras. And uh, they were actually, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I don't know. That might have been, that wasn't me. But I didn't, uh, just to correct you, I didn't say staged. I said the some of their equipment was showing readings when it may have not been the right equipment. I've been told this by a scientist. So, but I don't know. You know, I don't, um, it's second second hand right now. But go well, ahead, continue. They like yeah. they know what, sure, they sort of seem like they know what they're doing, but one of the things that they were talking about, because somebody asked that question, do things only happen when the cameras are on? And actually they were saying, no, a lot of times when the cameras aren't on, things happen and they can't capture them. And sometimes they're actually believing that there's an intelligence behind uh, behind it all because a camera will go down where something happens and then come back on again after the event happened. And uh, they are going to have a third season. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, like their last, if you saw the season finale where they were flying the helicopter and something invisible, the craft was registering on the radar beneath the helicopter. I mean, and it's just like you talk about science and things beyond what we can understand after watching that show and, you know, just all the research that went on out there. There's a lot of weird stuff that go on out there that so, you know, UFOs, psychic beings, portals. Yeah, the portal thing. Yeah, that's really something, Chris, to look into because, you know, they had a team of scientists there for a number of years and they were out one night and they saw this portal just show up and this thing that looked kind of like a Bigfoot came out of this portal and the portal closed up. I mean, it's bizarre. They didn't catch it on film. They weren't prepared for it. But uh, yeah. Uh, so that's, Carrie, that's the is, trickster. is this Carrie from the Northern California that I, that I communicate with yep, every now and then? Yep. Yep. That's me. All right. Nice to talk to you. Anything else while you're on the line for our guest? No, that was pretty much about it. And it was really interesting to listen to Brandon and Thomas to hear that the weird stuff goes on all the time. We don't always capture everything. And that they thought yeah. there was an intelligence behind it all. So I thought that was something that I had never heard before. Yeah. Yeah, there's something been going on there a long time. Thanks a lot for the call. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you for your show. Thank you, Chris. Take Thanks, care. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, that's really... Um, that's really something you may want to look into is just because it is such a fascinating place with so many weird things that have happened there. And it goes back to the Native Americans talking about, you know, incidents that were happening. And that's why they call it the skinwalker. That's a, a Native American term. And uh, but anyway, it's it's a fascinating place. But there are, you know, while we're on this subject of weird hotspots, there are many places there's brown mountain um where there's ufos seen there all the time and in the south somewhere um i'm just trying to think of some other ones but over in uh norway uh Hesselgen lights um that have been seen for a hundred years you know just strange things maybe some of them are natural phenomenon from say 
deposits and metals or something in the local geography or something like that. I'm not, I, who knows right. what it is. Like I was talking earlier about the earthquake lights. That was something that was unheard of, but was happening actually. And so the, the earthquake lights have been, have what been substantiated from, from the sort of conventional official yeah. academia. Is that, is that what happened? Yeah. yeah. It's something I to do. I, I don't know. I, I'm not even going to get into trying to explain what it is because I don't, I'll make a fool of myself because I don't, I don't really know what causes it to happen, but it's right. something, it's a natural phenomenon that happens. Okay. Which is another bizarre thing, but. That, that actually reminds me of sort of a, another tactic that um, skeptics really like to employ. And I think, I think, um, you know, a lot of people in, in the general public too, where, you know, they'll take say one or two phenomena, which were thought to be um, paranormal or whatever, and then they get explained. And then sort of that one example is used as, as a, well, they're all explainable. Like they always turn out to be something explainable and therefore we can kind of forget the whole topic. Um, so throwing, that, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, basically. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is not a, which of course is not a scientific attitude. Right. Uh, so that's actually one thing I sort of argue in the book is that scientists don't have a very scientific attitude when it comes to this, when it comes to this whole realm. And again, I don't blame them because it's, it's a tricky realm and it doesn't play by the rules. It doesn't play by the rule book. So, um, I'm, and I'm not sure how practical it is. You know, I mean, science, science seems to me largely about practical issues. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure how practical any of this stuff is. It doesn't mean it's, again, it's not real obviously, but, um, so I don't know how fruitful it would be for scientists to investigate a lot of this stuff. Maybe it is, I, I, cause I don't know that much about like the Skinwalker Ranch or they're apparently sending some crews up there, but. Yeah. Well, you know, it's always about, a lot of it's about funding and can you solve this problem within so many years? And that's what funding is, you know, the drive to get the funding is you have to have an end goal. So that makes it really difficult. Uh, we have Joni calling from Pennsylvania. Joni, welcome to the show. Joni, you're on the air. Uh, Bill. All right. She's uh, part of the call, but she's not. I don't think she's responding. All right. Okay. So, uh, we'll, you, I don't know if she's uh, hung up or whatever, but thank you, Bill, for trying. Anyway, the lines are open, and that phone number is 855-472-5483, and Bill is standing by. Um, so uh, I forgot exactly where we were because I was just took that call. So so moving on. Yeah. Moving on, the, as, far as, um, I, as far as what we see visually and we know what's around us, there's, there's, that's only just part of what's going on too. You know, uh, there's probably a lot more going around uh, on around us that we were just oblivious to. What do you think about that? Well, there definitely is. I mean, you, first of all, according to science, there is, uh, there's something like 400 billion 
little particles called neutrinos streaming through every square inch of our bodies every second. Um, and we just are not biologically equipped to be aware of that, thank God. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, there's, you can't see UV light, you can't see ultraviolet light, you can't see x-rays, you, you can't see radio waves, but they're all, you know, to some extent streaming, streaming through and around us all the time. There are, um, you know, you're not aware of the, of the trillions of bacteria crawling in, in your insides, much less the red blood cells streaming through your body or the little mites crawling through your eyebrows or the <laughs> sounds that your dog can hear. We, we are in a universe that we are not aware of. You know, yeah. even, that's just stuff that science can explain. So the idea that maybe there's other things that are all around us that we're not tuned to, that does not seem like too much of a stretch to me. Right. I'll be right back. I got, I got to go wash my eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry to, sorry to bring yeah. that up. You won't tonight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, it's right. We really, it, it's really bizarre if you think about it. Um, everything around us. And, you know, a lot of these UFO sightings that have been seen recently um, that have made a lot of news, you know, like um, that are the videos that have been released by the government saying they don't know what they are. Those three, three videos um, there, a, a lot of them are in a, a different spectrum. You know, maybe these things have been all around all the time and, we just weren't able to see them before. And speaking of that, I also get a lot of emails about people saying, when is the 23-minute video going to be released? I don't know. Lou Elizondo said on a podcast a few weeks ago that there was a 23-minute video that was most likely going to be released with multiple UFOs in it. And that'll that'll be earth-shattering when that happens. I, and... So far, everything that he says is going to happen, happens. So um, hopefully we'll be seeing that come out and maybe that'll cause some more attention. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, all right, can you can you hear me now? I can. Okay, it's just uh, it's frozen on this side a little bit. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. There is something wrong with the phones right now, but uh, don't be discouraged. You can uh, you can still try to call in, and uh, maybe Bill will get that uh, turned around. But uh, but for now, if you'd like to pose a question, please do so in chat and put that in all caps so it catches my eye, and I will I'll, I'll put that up there uh, for for you. Some of the other topics you covered in your book. You want to talk briefly about that? I saw there was this, uh, um, this, I, I heard about this elderly man from India. I think it was over a hundred years old and like starved himself and was running a marathon and all this. I don't know if that's someone you wrote about as well. Some, uh, if that's the same person you wrote about. Uh, that sounds like a different person. If, if that, if, um, the over a hundred who ran a marathon, although maybe he has since, since I researched him, um, the, uh, that in the, one of my essays, I say, um, I say, you know, science doesn't exist. If it did, you would have heard of Prahlad Johnny, 
Um, Prahlad Jani is a holy man in India who claims not to have eaten, drunk, or um, passed waste since 1940. Uh, he was studied in an Indian hospital in Ahmedabad. Um, they put him in a room for, I can't remember the first time, something like 10 days. And uh, according to this, you know, all the news agencies and the, the doctors, he did not eat, drink, or pass waste for the 10 days. Then they brought him back and the Indian military got, you know, interested and he was in, they did 15 days, same results. Apparently, according to what I read, he emerged, um, they, you know, did angiographs and all that uh, in better health than uh, someone half his age. Um, Crazy. And this is not a unique claim. There have been other people in India and other places in the world that say this. And um, so, you know, again, if, if there was such a thing as science, it would be, it, it would be, it, it would flock to Ahmedabad, India, because this, this would be something that questions the very fundamentals of biology, right? Of biological science. But since there isn't such a thing as science, there's only human scientists, the human scientists, you know, they're going to either they're not going to hear about it. If they do hear about it, they're going to say, oh, yeah, right. Um, they're not going to get a grant to go there. There's just all sorts of, you know, very human mundane reasons why something like that would not be further explored. And I'm not saying it's definitely true or definitely not true. I'm just saying if there was such a thing as just this objective thing called science that was interested in, you know, revolutionary ideas, um, we would be studying Prahlad Johnny till the cows came home. But in, instead, no one's ever heard of him. Wow. Yeah, that's bizarre. And what about some other other topics that you touch on in, in that in the realm of science and and the weirdness of it? The weirdness of science or the weirdness of something that science cannot explain. Pardon me for not being clear. Oh, sure. Uh, let me think for a minute. I, I had a, I have a few notes over here I made. Um, so other weird things science can explain. Well, I mean, you can take... Um, You can take Michael Crichton's experiences. Uh, you, you, there's, um, are you familiar with, um, what's her name? She did the, the book on death and dying, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Hmm. I've Elizabeth heard the Kubler name. No, I can't think of, I didn't read the book. No. Oh, well, she wrote a very famous book called on death and dying, um, which is just about sort of a, a more humanitarian, um, a uh, uh, more humanitarian treatment of people in, you know, who are dying and sort of, I think she sort of um, got the whole hospice movement going, but um, so her book made a big splash. Uh, but we, the, the experiences that, um, that catalyzed that book, part of what she discovered was a lot of people as they're nearing death have lots of, you know, that a girl was visited by a man who she described, who turned out to match the description of a dead uncle she'd never met. Another woman talked, you know, could describe the doodles on a nurse's pad um, that she could see from above, you know, out of her body. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross heard all these, you know, quote, crazy stories, 
that people on their deathbeds would report quite compelling and convincing. Um, and she just left, she, she initially wrote a whole chapter about that and was going to put it in the book. Um, but when it came time to actually publish the book, she decided to leave that out because she realized no one, people would just write off the whole book as nonsense if she included it. So you get this kind of self-censorship too. I know this is not exactly what you asked me, but th these are this amazing phenomena that never even get presented to the public because uh, these people would like to be taken seriously by the establishment. Um, I read about that actually in a great book called Fringeology by a guy named Steve Volk. You may have heard of that book. Um, I highly recommend that, that book as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I have heard of situations like that. And Leslie uh, Kane is someone that has done a lot of really good work. She's a journalist in the UFO world, and she has written some books. And actually, there was a uh, Netflix uh, series on about uh, about all that uh, near death experiences and the people's accounts of them and these strange, you know, past life things that. Uh, these are just totally unexplainable. You know, I mean, no one has any answers for um, some of the situations that, that were really fascinating. Some of it, I, I, I'm not really sure, you know, whether I buy it or not. But, uh, but, you know, like they say in the UFO world, if it only takes one UFO and the tens or thousands or hundreds of thousands of ones that are witnesses, it only takes one to be real you know, to, to change everything. Yeah. And one of the things about these, these, you know, you hear, you know, maybe you hear something about like what I described or you just described. If you hear it in passing in our culture, it's quite easy to say, you know, Oh, I'm sure either that was a hoax or I, I don't believe it. And it's the, the stories that are really compelling, you really have to read about them in depth. You have, and, and maybe, you know, watch the person being interviewed. They're not, they're, they're, they're convincing this, their compelling nature comes across through being explored more deeply. It, 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 the case can't be made in a sort of casual offhand way. Cause if you do it that way, it just sounds crazy in our culture and it's very easy to, to dismiss. So you really, you have to take the time to read in detail, to be convinced. I just think that's the nature of this subject. It requires taking some time to explore it, you know, and if you don't want to take the time, that's fine. That's completely understandable. Um, but I just don't think you're in a position to make any judgments unless you do take the time. That's a big problem with so many of the people that are skeptics and want to say there's nothing to this or nothing to that. Um, is they never take the time to do any real research. That's right. Yeah. Um, Looks like we're having phone. No one can call in, huh? Phone phone issues. Well, yeah, we're we're having a couple of issues, and um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a couple of issues here. We might have to end the show a little a, a little bit early. Um, I okay. can't really I can't see anything on the screen on on my side. I haven't seen you move forever. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you could see me waving right now either, but yeah, uh, I can. you can. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll just keep going on. And uh, 
so the phone lines have been fixed. Um, the issue, Bill, I hope you can hear me, Bill, is that I can't control anything on this side. So when it gets to the end of the show, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to wrap things up. Uh, I, unless, unless I'm wrong on that. Um, and I hate to do this in the middle of a live show, but let me just see if I can control anything here. Okay. Nope. So Bill, you're going to have to wrap up when we get near the end. Um, all right. So the lines are open. If someone would like to call that number again is 855-472-5483. I want to ask you, how has, how have things been received by say uh, colleagues or friends uh, in in this book that you've written? How has that been received? Um, It's been received well. It's got some nice reviews on Amazon. Um, Um, you know, I think, I think people who take the time to read, to read the essays, see where I'm coming from. So that's been gratifying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what type of, uh, what type of uh, research did you do into this, uh, to, to do this book? Was it like a deep dive for uh, a long time or is this something that all came about at once? Uh, I think uh, I think it's the sort of thing that's been um, brewing for quite a number of years. You know, like w- when I was in college, I sort of had a I don't know if you'd call it exactly a not a breakdown, but sort of a, a, as graduation neared. You know, I went into college thinking, feeling sort of like a brass tacks, you know, science oriented person, and um, I came out of college sort of with a a different attitude. I was thinking of myself more as an artist, um, you know, and I started looking within, seeing a therapist and sort of something pivoted there. And I I came out of college as something of a seeker, you know, in in sort of a way I described earlier. Um, And so I've been reading about any number of, of, whether it's spirituality, religions, or these sorts of phenomenon for, for a lot of years. And I feel like this, this grew out of um, sort of a natural extension of, of all that personal experience and reading and thinking. Amazing. So there is a question in chat. Are you familiar with the claims, the phenomenon, of the rainbow body. I've never heard of that. No, I'd be interested to hear. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds really, uh, yeah. Something. Another interesting thing. It sounds actually, like it might be similar to auras or something. Actually, gentlemen, we yeah. have, a call um, yeah, I'm not familiar with that. So if that person would like to call in, um, we we still can take that. can still take a call. And that number is eight, five, five, four, seven, two, Five four eight three. If you'd like to call in and explain that some more, and I'll see if there's other questions here in chat. It's uh, I can only do a couple things here. I'm not sure what is going on technically, but um, but uh, Bill is going to have to be steering the uh, here. machine here for now. Actually, um, um, Chris and again. I just set something off. He claims so. I, I I'm not going to touch anything. It's all up to you, buddy, Bill. And Bill, right. if you want to come back in, yeah, he's talking. 
Chris, I okay. think he has a really serious delay right now. Can't hear that either. Oh yeah, he's talking. Don't worry. <laughs> well, we do have a caller, Chris, for you. Her name is Joni, and she's from Pennsylvania. So, right. Joni, you're uh, on. I'm Chris going to Mar have to wrap it up on my end because I'm having some type of really uh, bad issues here. I understand you can hear me. So um, just to let you know, our guests uh, next week are going to be uh, Paul Askoff. And for the second hour is going to be Ross Colhart. And Ross Colhart is a mainstream Australian journalist that has uh, written um, a book kind of punishing the media for not paying attention or giving UFOs much attention. Chris, I can you still hear me? I can, yes. All right. I want to thank you so much. And uh, anyone, you, you can hold up the book. I can't see you, but I'll trust that you can hold up the book. And anyone can find that over on Amazon. That will be over uh, in the show links uh, tonight if you'd like to uh, pick up that book. Uh, the link will be right there. So uh, that's it for the show, everyone. And thank you so much for uh, for watching. Sorry, we have, again, uh, technical difficulties out here on the show. Boat. So we'll be back next week at the same time. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky.